Well, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. I was here a couple of weeks ago uh, when um, the girl that plays the music, I think she does the praise and worship down in Alana, yeah. Um, when she was here, the Lord just, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me in a word of prophecy that, um, that I didn't feel led that I sh- could do at the time. I think I could have, but I didn't. And, um, and, and, and the Lord began to uh, stir within me uh, uh, a word that uh, for this body and for this time, and, um, and so it has two parts. Uh, we have a preliminary part that will prepare us for actual the word. So we're going to have a PowerPoint, and you'll understand the need for the PowerPoint as we get into it. But the word that the Lord gave me, not the word, the prophecy that he gave me, but a word that he gave, dropped in on my spirit that got me on the road to studying this and, and the avenue by which he brought this was the word disconnect. So if, the, if you'll open up the PowerPoint, as I said, we're going to have a PowerPoint that's going to help you, and I want you to look at it. I want you to see the pictures, and I want you to let this sink in. The word God, the Spirit of the Lord gave me was disconnect. To be disconnected from the source of supply. Okay? Many in the body of Christ has experienced disconnect. What does this mean? Look at the little picture. See the little connection there and see the disconnect all right go ahead webster's dictionary described disconnect i went to the dictionary to find out what does that mean sometimes we think we know what things mean and we find out maybe we don't maybe there's far more to that word than meets the eye and these are symptoms and maybe you might recognize some symptoms uh, of a disconnect disconnect was means to detach to come, become detached or withdrawn. Um, this can result in, now Webster didn't say all of this. This is the Spirit of the Lord speaking to me. The Webster said to detach or become detached or withdrawn. This can result in loss of relationships, loss of friendships, loss of family members, loss of just having a life. Loss of joy. We just begin to get detached from what's going on around us. We're not really involved anymore with what's going on in our friends' lives. We're not involved in what's going on with our family. We just begin to withdraw ourselves and lose interest in what's going on around us. We lose our joy. We lose our interest. We become detached. You may know people that experience some of these symptoms. All right, next. It says to disconnect into dark moods. Now, the, actually, uh, Webster said that. To detach or disconnect into dark moods, such as depression, irritability, anger, suicidal tendencies. We just begin to disconnect ourselves from what's going on around us. And as we do that, these are some of the symptoms that begin to um, display themselves. They begin to come forth in our lives. 
as results of disconnect or disconnection. All right? Um, They disconnect from which, okay, it says right there, I disconnect from which something flows. Now, this is what Webster said. It said, a disconnect from, from which something flows, such as a hose or a faucet. And I added, this can result in the feelings of feeling powerless. You feel hopelessness. You feel helplessness. Because the source of power, the source of flow, that faucet, that hose, that source of power that flows to you to give you the power you need has been disconnected. So you're now feeling helpless, powerless, hopeless, tired, no energy. And you just feel like, well, I just don't know anymore. I, I just, I don't think I can do anything about anything anymore. I don't know what to do. I don't have the power to change nothing. Do you know anybody that has any of these symptoms or ever experienced any of these symptoms? These are symptoms of a disconnect. All right? A disconnect from the source or from the power supply. Disconnect from the source of power, and that's what Webster said. And uh, I put in this causes poor health. We begin to feel weak. We begin to feel defeated. We feel discouraged. We feel confused. And we just don't have a plan of action anymore. We just don't know what to do. We, we just throw up our hands and say, I just don't know what to do anymore. I don't have the strength to deal with this. You feel defeated, discouraged, and feel like, feel hopeless. These are symptoms of the disconnect. Because the source of supply, we cannot do this in ourselves, people. The life that we are called to walk, we cannot walk it alone. We cannot live this life ourselves that God's called us to walk. We cannot do it. We've got to have a power and something bigger and stronger than ourselves. And when we begin to walk and do it in ourselves, we experience disconnect, and then all of these symptoms result. You know anybody that's going through any of these things? Okay. Well, the enemy knows how, the enemy knows a few things about our power as redeemed saints. He knows something about our power as redeemed saints. Do you? Do you know anything about your power and who you are as a redeemed saint? Well, the enemy does. Okay? Our enemy knows this. He knows that there is that we are nothing when we are disconnected from the source, Jesus. He knows that. He knows that we cannot do anything in ourselves. He knows we are powerless in ourselves, by ourselves, when we walk according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. But also he knows, but when we that but he also knows that when we are connected, we are more than conquerors. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. He knows that we are mighty through the power of Jesus Christ and the blood in that name. So what do you think his plan of action would be if you were the enemy? Cause a disconnect maybe from that source of supply? Yes, that is his tactic in your life is to keep you disconnected from your source of supply. Okay? Does this mean that I am no longer saved if I'm disconnected? No. It only means that the enemy has brought about a disconnect from, the source, from your source of supply. He has outsmarted you in some way. It's like on a chess game. He has outsmarted you. He has pulled a little move that you were not prepared for and that you did not know about, and he has outsmarted you on the chessboard. And what does that mean? That means we've got to get smarter, people. We've got to stop falling for the tactics of the enemy, and we've got to get wise about recognizing them. Okay? Now, God's Word tells us that he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Revelations tells us, He has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now where does it say that we shall reign? On the earth. It says He has made us kings and priests, And he has given us dominion, and he has told us to reign, not in heaven when we get to heaven, not in the far by and by, in the sweet by and by. This is not a futuristic thing. This is a now word. He is saying he has called us to be kings and priests, and to have dominion, and to rule on the earth. On the earth. That's where we are now, not when we get to heaven. Okay. What does it mean to, ru- to reign? What does it mean when he says that we are to rule and reign? Well, reign, listen to this. It is to, to have dominion, sway, or influence as one resembling a monarch. We are to have influence, we're to have sway, which is power, we're to have sway and power and dominion and influence, just like one resembling a monarch, resembling a monarch, all right, let's go to the next one, so in Genesis, the word tells us, Genesis 1.27. Now listen to this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created, created he them. So what image are we, what do we look like? Somehow we look like God. He said he created Male and female, man and woman, he created us to look just like him. Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man, 
which is renewed in knowledge means that we put on the new man. It means our mind's been renewed. We now have the mind of Christ after the image of him that created him. So we've put on the new man. We put on the mind of Christ after the image. We already have the image of him that created him, of God. So we look just like him. So let's go to the next one. He made in his image, let's see, we are made in his image, and we have been given dominion. Now think about this and look at the little picture. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, man and woman, let them have dominion. So God is standing there and he says, let's create man in our image to look just like us and let us give them dominion to rule and to reign just as if they are a monarch like me or us, talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is using the um, the uh, raw, the um, sword and he is endowing that power upon us. And then here we are and we're walking upon the earth and he said that we are to rule and reign here on the earth as one resembling a monarch with power and sway and dominion and ability. Isn't that what the word's saying? Are you seeing this? Are you getting a picture of who God says that you are? That you are his representative here on the earth, that you've been given that dominion, that you've been given that likeness, that you've been given that power and that authority. Okay. So, let's see, I don't even know what that says. It says, for us to, what? Reign on the earth, okay, means... For us to have the dominion, sway, power, and influence as one resembling a monarch. We are so to, we're supposed to walk around and resemble the one that created us. The monarch, the king, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. We're to walk upon this earth looking and acting and walking and demonstrating and, and presenting ourselves as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now, am I disrespecting our king or our father by thinking that we can be like him? Ooh, you know, I don't want to try to take his place. Well, no, you're not taking his place. Definitely not. We worship him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship him as the only true and living God. But he has, a, he has given us an authority. He has given us a power. He has given us a commission that we are to fulfill here on the earth. And how are we ever going to do that if we are disconnected from that understanding? When we don't believe that, when we don't see that, we don't understand that, and we are believing the lie of the enemy which tells us that we are defeated and we can't do anything about things. That tells us that we are, have to, have to accept what the enemy gives us. Is that glorifying the God that gave us this authority? I don't think so. 
I think that he is very disappointed when he looks upon the earth and he sees a defeated church, when he sees a defeated people, when he said, I have given you all power, all authority. Now walk in it. Okay, I think that ends that part. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So that part was the groundwork for the message that I believe that the Lord would have us to uh, listen to today and to look at. We are in a place in time where God is ready to move and to demonstrate himself upon the earth. He's ready to show people of this world who he is. He is not happy with the defeated status that we've been representing to the world. And he is looking now for those who are going to get a hold of the truth of his word and is going to walk in a power and an authority that the world has not seen. And it is going to depend on what you select to believe and where you're going to stand in your faith level. Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So it's talking about here that that very same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus Christ and caused his body to come up out of the grave on the third day, that very same spirit is in you. That means that that spirit, if it could raise Christ from the dead, don't you think it could do some other great things? Amen, yes. It says that very same spirit is in you. Why are we not seeing people walk in the same kind of authority and the same kind of spirit that Jesus walked in? Jesus himself said, greater things shall you do than I've done. And he raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been in the great uh, tomb uh, more uh, three days or so. How many days? Four days. His body had already begun to decay and stink. And he was able to say, Lazarus, come forth. And that body got up. Life came back into the body. It got up and it walked out of the tomb. That same spirit is in us. Why are we not seeing that manifested? Because we are allowing the enemy to keep us disconnected from the source of supply. And we're going to talk about, well, how does that happen? What causes a disconnect? And what can I do about it? The enemy knows what we ha- that we have the same spirit that was in Christ. He knows that we look just like our created father. And he knows that we have been given power and dominion and influence. So how does he accomplish keeping us from walking in this kind of power? 
Well, there's several ways, and I'm only going to talk to you about one of them today, and that's going to be the eye gate and what we're looking at. And it, I don't know if you were in here, Natasha, but I said I couldn't have gotten you to pick out better music to go with the message today because it was just perfect. But I want you to, uh, everybody, say this with me. And this is an old cliche that you've heard. Maybe it come from TV. I don't know where it came from. But it says, what you see is what you get. Everybody say it. Say it again. What you see is what you get. Well, we might make fun of that and we might laugh at that. But it's a real spiritual um, application. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4. Paul had something real important to say here. 2 Corinthians 4.18. And the Apostle Paul said this. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are temporary... Let's see. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now I want to read that to you again. 2 Corinthians 4.18 While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things that we're seeing right now, all of this is temporary. But the things which are not seen, those things are eternal. Did you know that if you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, that you are called to be a sign and a wonder upon this earth? You are called to be a sign and a wonder. You need to be walking in a lifestyle that people cannot figure out. You need to be walking in a level of anointing or, well, let's not even call it anointing. Walking in a level of, uh, of, uh, of presence with God that you are being provided for supernaturally. You are not ever sick. I mean, all these things are going on. Your needs are met. You are debt-free. Your bills are paid. And everybody's saying, what are you doing? How is that happening? What is going on at your house? I want to know why you are able to pay all your bills and I can't even buy groceries. I want to know why everybody's sick and got the flu, but you're just jumping and just full of energy and just happy and healthy and strong. We need to be living a life that is drawing attention by the world and they're wanting to know, what do you have that I don't have? What is it that you know that I don't know? We don't need to be one of the crew out there saying, oh, oh, I don't, oh, you know, I just don't know what we're going to do. You know, the times are getting harder and, oh, the job, nobody can get jobs and I can't get a job and I can't pay my bill. I mean, everybody's singing that song. All you're going to do is just be one of the bunch. And we're going to talk about what it's like to be one of the bunch in just a minute. But we are to be a sign and a wonder here on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to be walking in that and demonstrating that and showing that. 
We have been given the same creative power that raised Christ from the dead, and it resides in us, and we are to use it for his glory. Now, how is this done? Let's talk about that. Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said unto Abram. Now, we're going to go back, and we're going to see those people that had miracles working in their lives and the power of God working in their lives. What did God say to them, and how did it work in them? Let's look. He said, Abram. This was in Genesis 13, 4. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him. i got to add that in there. He says, the Lord said unto Abram, after he separated himself from Lot. Hey, I want to tell you something. We're moving into a time where there's going to be some separation. You're going to have to give up some people that maybe is not good for you. There might be friends that you're going to have to just say, look, I love you, I'll pray for you, and I bless you, but I can't fellowship with you. I can't hang out with you because you're not seeing and hearing what God's saying and hearing. I can't walk with you. Now, I'll pray for you, I'll love you, I'll bless you, but we can't hang out. We're going to have to separate ourselves from some people. And we're going to have to separate ourselves from some things. Some things that don't bring faith and blessings and life into our life. Things that are dragging us down. Things that are tearing us down. Things that are destroying us. We're going to have to say, no more. I don't care how much I enjoy playing cards with the boys on Thursday night. I can't go there no more. When I go there, I leave there full of spirits and devils and all kinds of stuff, and it takes me two weeks to get over it. You're going to have to give it up. Just say, hey, y'all, I mean, I love you, but I I just can't come no more. I I, I got something else going on that night. I don't care what you say. Just come up with some kind of plan to stop it because it's causing a disconnect. It is disconnecting you from the flow of the Spirit and a flow of what God's saying. And people, now is the time for us to make sure we're in the flow. We don't want to be not in the flow, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the Spirit of the Lord said, after that Lot was separated from Abram, after he didn't speak to uh, Abraham about this until after he separated himself from his brother Lot. But after he did, he said, Lift up thine eyes. Folks, we got to get our heads lifted up and looking to where our help cometh from. Look unto the mountain where cometh our help. Our cometh our help cometh from the Lord. We got to quit having our head down and dragging around and looking down at the earth and what all's going on in the earth and all the problems in the earth. We got to get our heads up and be looking up to Jesus and looking at what He's doing and looking what He's saying and keep our heads lifted toward the Father and to where our help comes from. But he said to Abram, after he left his, uh, uh, separated himself from his brother Lot, he said, lift up thine eyes and look from this place. Don't even look at this place anymore. Don't look at this place. Look up. Look up the, from in high. And he says, thou art, look from where thou art northward and southward and eastward. So he told him, he said, get your head lifted up and look up. And don't look where you are. Look up this way. And in Genesis 15, 5, 
And he brought him forth outside. We're talking about uh, Abraham again. So he said he brought him outside. In other words, he got him from away from everybody. He got him off to himself. And he said, now look now toward the heavens and tell the stars if you'll be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. He had to get him away from people. He had to get him to himself. He had to get his head up. He had to get his head um, looking toward heaven. He had to get his looking toward uh, God the Father, and he had to be listening. And he was listening, and he began to hear God say, uh, All the stars, your descendants are going to be more than they. And he planted a vision in Abraham's heart. And Abraham had to begin to see, the, see what God saw. God saw uh, a, a heritage for Abraham that looked impossible. As long as Abraham looked at where he was and he saw what was going on, he was childless. He was childless. But when he began to get his head up and see what God saw, he found out God's vision for him was a multitude of uh, descendants. That was God's plan. That was God's vision for him. And so he began to get God's vision. And he began to uh, think on that. Genesis nineteen seventeen, And it came to pass when he brought them forth abroad outside again. You see, God always brings them out of where they are in the situation they're in, and he separates them from it. He says, when he brought him uh, forth and brought him from abroad, that he said, escape for thy, se- for thy life. Now, this is, when, uh, this is when the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is when judgment is about to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's talking to Lot. Because remember, Abraham has, has um, stood in the gap and he has argued for his brother's life. He's saying, please save him. Please save my brother Lot. Please, if you will just save them. So God hears his prayer and he saves Lot and his family. So this is what he's saying to Lot. Now finally God comes to Lot and he's telling him some information. He says, and it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad outside, he said to, he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Folks, I want to tell you something. We have got to get out of the past. We cannot continue to look back at the past. The past is over. It is dead. It is gone. He says, do not look back. Do not look behind thee, neither stay thou, neither stay thou in all the plain. You know, not to stop, to keep going. Escape to the mountain. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. And this is a, you know, everything spiritually is a little abstract, so I want you to stay with me for just a minute. But what God is showing me in this scripture is that if we do not get out of our past, if we don't stop looking back at the past, if we don't leave the past behind and forget it and get our heads and our faces looking forward, looking toward heaven, looking at what Jesus is seeing, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on all the stuff that has been going on. 
And if you are in this past, if your heart is in the past and you're seeing the past and you're living in the past, the past will have to be judged. And if that's where you are, guess what? Judgment will come on it. He is going to judge everything that's back there that was in the life of sin, the life of the flesh. You have got to leave it alone. Don't even look at it. Don't even dwell on it. Keep your eyes, keep your head up. Keep your eyes toward heaven. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Get his vision. Let him show you what he's saying and doing and moving forward this way. Everything back that way, judgment is coming. And that is the story and that is the the connection, the analogy that God was trying to uh, give us here when the wife turned and she looked back. I never liked that. I always said, but Lord, that was, oh, I probably would have done that. Oh, why'd you do that? I don't like the fact that you did that. You know, and I, I really did. I grieved over the fact that the woman looked back and she turned to salt. But the Spirit of the Lord has given me the revelation on this. He showed me that when she turned and she looked back, judgment was back there, and she was a part of that. She was a part of the judgment. She was a part of the life and a part of what was going on back there because that's what she was looking at. That's what she was dwelling on. That's what she was seeing. That's what she was living. And judgment had to come, and of course it came to her. He didn't want it to come to them. He said, don't look back. He said, look forward and keep going. Folks, it's dangerous the days we're living in of what's going on. And God said here, he said, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Don't stay nowhere here. Escape to the mountain. (laughs) Where? To the mountain. He said, come into the mountain where cometh your help. He's calling us up to the mountain of Zion. He's saying, come up higher. Come where I am. Come where the presence of the living God is. And I will show you great and marvelous things that you know not of. See, there's secrets and there's things that God wants to tell us. There's things that God wants to reveal to us. But we are not coming to the mountain. We're not coming into his presence. And we're not seeking to know those things. He wants to tell us. But no, we want to stay in the past. We want to look back and say, Oh, I was so hurt back there. Oh, it was terrible. And we want to live back there. Why? I don't know. I don't know why we want to stay back there because it's not pleasant anyway. But people tend to do it. But he's saying you've got to leave it. You've got to, got to leave it. In Numbers... 21.8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it. Now this is when the children of Israel were in the desert, and they began to be bitten by all the snakes, and they were dying. And Moses began to cry out to the Lord, What are we to do? What are we to do? He said, You take a serpent, you put it up on the pole, and you hold up the pole, and everybody that looks up to it will be healed. When he looketh upon it. Now here we t- find Abraham. He's told, look now toward heaven. 
we find out that Lot was told, look not behind, look. And we're told here that, now look upon the pole. We find here that the judgment of sin was on the cross of Jesus. was on the cross. When Jesus hung upon that cross, sin was there. Sin hung on that cross. And it was defeated and it was destroyed. So as those people there in the desert looked up and saw the sin, which they may not have understood it, but they were looking at the future, the future provision that would come through Jesus Christ. That Jesus would be upon a pole and he would be up on a, on a tree. It says, cursed is every man that hangs upon a tree. And Jesus hung upon a tree and that curse came upon him. And so when the people looked at that, they got a little, uh, a little freebie from Jesus for healing for them then. That was, hadn't even happened yet, but was coming in the future. God gave them a glimpse of how sin would be defeated and they would be worth, they would get to enjoy healing for their body. And so as they looked upon it, as they held up their heads and they looked up at the pole, they didn't look down at the snake on the ground, they looked up and they saw it lifted up and saw that sin on the cross and it was defeated. It was dead. The serpent had been killed. The enemy is defeated. And they saw the defeat of the enemy. Healing came on their bodies. And so God is saying that here, when he, look, when he looketh upon it, he will be healed. Now, Isaiah so kindly says something to us. And I'm going to read it just the way Isaiah says it. And Isaiah says it in 42.18. Hear ye, ye deaf. And look, ye blind, that you may see. Hear ye, ye deaf. And look, ye blind, that you may see. He's saying to the people, come on, hear. Come on, see. See what God sees. Isaiah said in 45, 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is none else. This is Isaiah prophesying as God speaking. And God is speaking. And he says, look unto me. Where are your eyes looking? What are you focusing on? Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God. There is none else. Folks, we got to figure out where are we looking. Many times we're looking at stuff and we don't even realize we're looking at stuff. And it is the painting of the, of the enemy. We have here prophetic art. What goes on, uh, this is what I believe goes on and it's supposed to go on, is people by the Spirit of God are painting pictures according to what the Spirit of the Lord is showing them. They are seeing a picture in their spirit and they are then painting it where we can see it. Well, the devil's doing that every day. He's busy doing that every day. He's painting pictures every day. And we've just got to decide we're not going to look at them. I'm not going to listen to you. Now, you know, I had this to really happen to me, really and truly, probably. I don't think I've had it going on. I don't think I've had it happen in the last five or ten years. But prior to that, 
um, there for a period of time, I could be riding down the highway driving, and all of a sudden I would see a picture in my spirit of a car coming over from the other lane and hitting me head on. And I knew I didn't want that to happen, and I knew it was from the enemy. And I would say, no, in Jesus' name, you're a liar. No, that will not happen to me in Jesus' name. But that would happen fairly often. I'd just be driving down the road, just not thinking of anything important, and all of a sudden it's just a little vision, a little glimpse of that car coming over and hitting me head on. Because that was the vision that the enemy wanted me to receive. He wanted me to accept that. He wanted me to fear that. He wanted me to dwell on that. He wanted me to think about that. He wanted me to, uh, you know, get to the point where I was scared to drive. I don't know what all it could have done to me. And so that he could actually really let that happen. But I had enough spiritual knowledge at the time. I cast it down because the Word of God tells us casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself above the Word of God. Anything that says something that the Word of God don't agree with, we're to cast it down. When He says that you're not going to make it, that, no in Jesus' name. I don't accept that in Jesus' name. It says you don't have what you need, no in Jesus' name. I do have what I need. We've got to learn to be quick when the enemy paints us a picture of any kind of anything that's not according to the promises of God to cast it down, to deal with it instantly. A lot of times we entertain it, you know, and and we don't even know that we're babysitting the enemy's picture. We're nursing it and saying, oh, you know, we're just taking it around with us and we're just nursing it and babying it and then eventually... Uh, He wants us to do that because he knows that the power of God is in us to create it and to make it happen. Habakkuk says in 2.2, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that ye may run that readeth. Why would we need to write anything down if we're not going to look at it? The reason we write the vision down is so we can look at it and we can read it and we can ponder it and we can dwell on it and we can think about it and we can dream about it and we can talk about it and we can, you know, this is how faith comes and this is how things are created. The world was created because it was first in the mind of God and he said, let it be. That creative power is in us. And God is about to uh, use some people mightily that's going to tap into this and realize how to use it for His glory and rather from the enemy. Habakkuk 2, 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but it, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it shall surely come. It will not tarry. Now there's one more example I want to give you, but before I do, I want you to realize something. Your eternal, your internal reality, whatever is in you, Whatever is the way you see yourself, your family, your life, your internal reality creates your external reality. And your internal reality will always be 
your external reality. Your external reality is never going to change until the internal reality changes first. And I don't mean to be mean about this. I'm just going to be honest. If you see yourself fat, and you see yourself as a fat person, and you will never be anything but a fat person, you are going to remain a fat person. Because that's the way you see it. That's the way you believe it. And you can, and you can, if you can, the Bible tells us if you can see it, you can have it. Can you see yourself skinny? Can you see yourself slim? If I were you, I'd get a picture. When I was 16, if I had to do it, and I, when you were slim and trim, and I'd put it up, I'd blow it up, and I'd make a big one on the wall, and I'd look at it every day. Every day. I'm slim and trim. I'm so slim and trim. I'm not fat. And you look at that until that becomes your internal reality. And when that internal reality gets as real as your external reality is now, guess what? It'll line up. This is a powerful thing, church. And I'm telling you, we are experiencing disconnect. We are disconnected to the source of power. We're not getting the vision of God. We're not seeing things the way God's seeing them. And we are being limited by what we're seeing here on this earth. And the enemy loves to paint us a terrible picture. And we're looking at that all the time and we're believing every word of it. And we're going around in a defeated manner. We're going around with not our needs met. We're going around sick. We're going around defeated. And it's because that's all we look at. That's all we hear. That's all we dwell on. That's all we think about. And that's what we have. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Word of God tells us. If you only look at what is around you, you will delay your future and maintain the present circumstances. Do you know that your future is in you? Did you know that your destiny dwells in you? It's in there. You just may not be connected to it. You may be just more connected to this world and what is going on around you. And you're disconnected from what the Father says about you. Wouldn't it be nice to find out what He says and what He sees in you? And a lot of times we get words of prophecy. You know, prophecies come forth and said, Oh, you're going to be, you know, a a mighty man of God and you're going to go to the nations. And we think, yeah. Mm." And we don't see it. And... um, But, you know, prophecy is nothing but God uh, giving you just a little glimpse of what he's got in mind for you. And and that's God giving you his permission. So when he prophesies and he says those great things over you, that is your cue and that is what you need to jump on immediately, beginning to paint yourself a picture of how Jesus says you are. You know, Jesus, remember the story about Gideon? And the angel come and he says, uh... Rise up, you mighty man of God. And here's Gideon behind the wine press, scared as a little rabbit, you know. And he's afraid as he can be, fearful. And, and he's, uh, he's back behind there um, doing the sh- uh, pre- tre- threshing the wheat, yes. 
And, uh, and then this angel, you know, he's like, I kind of see him like Barney Fife, you know. He's kind of back there, just scared, just a little weak little thing, you know. And he's threshing the wheat, hiding in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord says, you rise up, almighty man of God. And he's thinking, who is he talking to? You know, who can he be talking to? Not me. But see, God sees us totally different than the way the, uh, we see ourselves and the way the enemy has painted the picture. The enemy has painted the picture to us that we're, a defeat, that we're defeated and we're helpless and hopeless and all this. But we need to tap into what is God saying. And folks, this is not a uh, thing where we just get in there and we just make up our own, oh, well, I won't, let's see, I want to be... Uh, I want to live in Hollywood, and I want to go, be on Deo uh, Drive, and I want to drive this car, and I want to live in this mansion. And it's not about that. We're not talking about just living in la-la land. We're talking about getting, the, getting with God, getting, let him pull you aside, and uh, getting away from some of the things that are, are hindering you, and getting within his presence, and let him begin to paint a picture for you of who you are in him and let him begin to uh, give you some visions and ideas of what he wants you to do and then as you get that then you begin to do what you're supposed to do nurse that and dwell on that and and think on that and pray on that and meditate on that and eventually that's going to become as real or more real than what people are seeing naturally of you. And then you're gonna, your body and your circumstances are going to begin to line up with what God, because that same creative power that dwelled in Christ Jesus and raised him from the dead dwells in us. So your f- uh, future exists right now inside of you, but it's just sitting there dormant. Now, let me give you my one last uh, example that I want to I share. And it's in, uh, about, um, it's in Genesis 30, 30 through 36. And this is the story of Jacob. And remember, Jacob um, was the one that uh, he, well, first of all, he was the one that his twin brother or his brother Esau, he stole his birthright. And then he had to um, run off and leave home because he had deceived his dad. And, uh, and his name means deceiver. But he went to his um, cousin or whatever, and he began to uh, work for his uh, cousin. And he wanted to his daughter uh, Rachel. He wanted to marry his daughter Rachel. And um, he deceived Jacob by, after he had worked for him for seven years, he... Um, went into his wife that night and his um, cousin or whatever the relationship was deceived him and gave him his gave him his oldest daughter Leah so he was so disappointed because he had wanted Rachel so he was married to Leah and so then he had to work another seven years for Rachel and so now he has married Rachel, and he has now Leah, and he has Rachel, and he has all these children, and he's been there for 14 or more years, and he has nothing of his own and nothing to show for all of his hard work. And he tells, his, he tells him, his father-in-law, he, um, yeah, father-in-law, he says, um, I need something of my own. I need to take my family and build a, a home and a family and a, a something for myself. So I need to um, see what I can do. So it says in here, uh, verse 30, it says, For it was little, 
uh, which thou had before I came. Well, he's, this is Jacob talking uh, to his brother, I mean his father-in-law, and he says, It was very little that you had before I came, and it is now increased into a multitude, and the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming, and now when I shall provide for my own house, as now as I shall provide for my own house also. So he's saying, you had nothing when I first came here, and now you are totally blessed because of me. And really that happened because of Jacob. That, the whole place was just totally blessed. And so uh, Laban, he knows that. He knows that he's blessed because of Jacob's presence. And so he comes up with a plan. He said, well, this is what I want you to do, Jacob says. He says, I will pass through all thy flock today, moving from thence all the speckled and spotted animals and all the brown animals among the sheep and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and such shall be my hire. So in other words, he was going to go through the whole herd, every one of the speckled and spotted sheep or goats, anything that had a spot on it, he was going to pull those out and give them to Laban and separate them. And then the, whatever was left, the solid ones, he was going to keep for his hire that he was going to work with. And he said, And so shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come from my hire before thy face, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. In other words, all of those will go. And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. Oops, let me find my next page. Well, I don't know what I did with the rest of it. Hmm. All right, well, I'm just going to tell you what it says. But anyway, he said, um, so Laban loves the idea because he kind of thinks that um, maybe Jacob's not real smart. <laughs> and he said, and he removed that day the uh, he goats that were... Uh, uh, ring struck and uh, streaked and spotted and all the she goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had some uh, white in it and all the brown ones among the sheep and gave them into the uh, hand of his sons and he set three days journey between them himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks so what went on is they were separated and all Jacob had were all the solid sheep and goats he had nothing with any spots or speckles or dots or anything. They were all with his other uh, brothers, his other sons, Laban's other sons. And so what Jacob did is Jacob went out and he built a wall of wood. And, he, and, he, and it, it tells a little bit of how it's done, but I'm just going to tell you my words because I didn't print that. But he causes the wall to be spotted and speckled on the wall. Like if, in other words, we, we would paint it and paint spots and speckles on it. And he placed that wall out in the place where the sheep and the goats came to feed and where they came to mate. Now, isn't that interesting that where the sheep came to feed and where they came to mate was where this vision, this particular wall was that spotted and speckled. I believe that as we come into God's Word to feed, and as we come in to have intimate relationship with the Lord, and we're looking at what God's seeing, 
as we're there feeding from God's Word, and we're just looking at that spotted and speckled wall that God has painted right there in front of us. And we're feeding from His Word, and we're having intimate relationship with the Lord. We're just basking in His presence and just loving on Him and letting Him love on us. And we're looking at the vision that He has painted for us. Guess what happens? We begin to produce what we're seeing. We begin to produce the vision of God. We begin to produce what we're seeing. And the very same thing happened to those sheep and those goats. Did you know that solid brown sheep and solid black sheep and solid black goats and solid black uh, sheep all began to produce speckled and spotted offspring, which is not normal. And so God shows us in this analogy that what we look at is what we're going to produce. What we truly believe, what we feed on, what we spend time uh, uh, nursing, what we spend time uh, dwelling on in our inner man, it is going to come forth, people. It is going to produce after its own kind. It's going to produce what it, what it is seeing and what it is doing. And so here is a very prime example of what we see having power over the external environment. What we are seeing and what we're dwelling on. It is a powerful thing. And we are about to see people get into the secret place of the Most High God and get the vision of God that He has for our day and time, for His plan for what the church is to be doing today, His plan for what we're, how we're to walk and what we're to do. And we're going to see these people walking in it. Help us, Lord. Please help us, Lord. And I want to just give you a word of encouragement before I close. The Lord reminded me of this today. He said, I want you to go to Jeremiah 17, 7, and I want you to just remind them of this. He says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth out her roots, by the river, and shall not see, and shall not see. You shall not see when the heat cometh, and when the leaf, or when the drought comes, when the hard days come, when the bad days hit, when the heat and the drought hits, you're not even going to see it. Why? Because you're not looking at it. You don't have your head down there looking at the earth and looking at everything that's going on. You've got your head up here and you are seeing what God sees and you are seeing Goshen. You are seeing plenty. You are seeing more than enough. You are seeing all your needs met. You are seeing your healing. You are seeing health and happiness. We are moving into a time where you need to know what you're looking at. What are you seeing? What are you seeing? What are you allowing yourself to see? But it says, That spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green. That means you're going to just be constantly flourishing, flowing in, 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 in health and happiness and prosperity, healthy and strong, happy and blessed. And you shall be... Fa- uh, and you shall... 
and shall not be careful in the year of drought. You won't even have to worry about the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. You will not cease from yielding fruit. You're not going to be stung by drought and problems and disease. It shall not come nigh thee. Folks, we have got a promise in God's word. If you go up to chapter 5, I mean up to verse 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart dependeth, departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub. He shall be like a shrub in the desert. And he shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the desert in the wilderness and in a salt land not inhabited so he shows us the difference and who's looking at what cursed is the man that dependeth upon man and leans on the arm of the flesh and is looking at those kinds of things he's going to be like a shrub in the desert but it says blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord for he'll be like a tree planted by the waters. And he'll, he'll shall not even see when the heat cometh. I'm telling you, everybody should write that down and you need to read it about ten times a day every day. Because as the days change and our environment changes around us, we need to have an internal vision of what God is saying about us and who we are. Remember, we are made in the image of our Father. And he has commissioned us with dominion and power and authority. And it's in us. And when we get that vision of God, we begin to prophesy. And we begin to say, my family's blessed. We are highly favored. All of our needs are met. There's no lack. We're healthy and strong, happy and blessed. Disease cannot come nigh my dwelling. Viruses and diseases and germs and bacteria cannot live in me. They have to die and dry up. Did you know that John, um, John G. Lake, let's see, John G. Lake, trying to get my name uh, right. I think that's right. Okay, I think that's right. I'm going to say that for right now. Um, he went in, he um, believed in healing, of course, and, and prayed for people for healing, but there was a major outbreak in Africa of some kind of um, some kind of bubonic plague or some kind of something that went on, and it was so terrible that there were so many people dying in the villages and just lay, lying around dead. And they had sent people in, uh, soldiers and different people in to try to pull out the uh, dead and bury them and deal with. But everybody they sent in died. They got the same disease and died too. And it was horrible. So um, John G. Lake said, I'll take a team, myself and a few more, and we'll go in there and we'll, you know, try to see about the ones that hadn't died yet and we'll bury the one, and we'll, we'll work among them. And they said, you can't do that. Everybody we've sent in there dies. So he went in and he and his team began to clean up the mess and try to clean and bury the dead and begin to tend to the sick and all that and pray for the sick. And uh, they weren't dying. Well, they were so shocked 
the government was so shocked at what in the world was going on, they sent scientists down there and people with the disease control down there with microscopes, and they wanted to know what's going on. And he said, well, viruses and disease and germs and, and bacteria cannot live in me. They have to die and dry up when they touch my body. And he, they said, oh, we don't believe that. He said, all right, take some. And he, he went, there was a person there that had the disease. He uh, got his finger and got some, put it on his hand, said, look at it and see. They put it under the microscope, and they were watching it. As soon as he put it on his skin, it began to die and dry up. It could not live on him. People, I believe in that. I believe that. And I'm telling you, I'm going to decree that over my life. Germs and viruses and diseases cannot live in me. The greater one lives in me. The one that raised Christ from the dead. We're going to have to live in a day where we can believe that. We've got to walk among the people being different and being a a people of signs and wonders and miracles. Because I'm telling you, when we do that, we don't have to shout, please come to church, please come to church, please come. No. They'll be knocking the door down to get in because they need something real. That's all they're looking for. That's all they're waiting on. And God is looking for people who will take his word and believe it.